Well, if you could open up your Bibles, please, with me to the book of Exodus, please. The book of Exodus, chapter 12. Uh, we're moving along in the, uh, the series. Uh, next week, we're going to look at uh, chapter 14, verse 1 through 15, 21. And uh, Pastor Dave Everson is going to be bringing us the word next week. And so you can uh, look forward to that. It should, be a, it should be a good time. I'm excited to hear what, uh, what God has to say through him. And you can, uh, you can too, as we look forward to, uh, to those verses. Today, we are specifically looking at perhaps what is the greatest and most important event in all of the life of Israel. We're going to be looking at the Passover and the, the exodus of the Israelites coming out of Egypt and, uh, and what that means for us today. So, as we get into this word, let's bow our heads in prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Heavenly Father, we ask, God, that, uh, that you would help stir our hearts this morning, God, that we would have hearts that are, that are set ablaze for you, that we would not live complacently in our faith, but that we would live actively in our faith, that we would engage our community, that we would see our redemption, not as just for us, but for, for everyone that, that is sin, which is everybody. So God, would you open up your word this morning, set our hearts ablaze, and let Christ be magnified in this time, Lord. It's, it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. Well, in my garage at home, I have an old tape measure, and it is old enough that uh, it doesn't look like a tape measure. It doesn't have one of those buttons that, uh, that stops it and locks it in. It's not stiff at all. It's very uh, wobbly. It looks more like a primitive CD than anything. And you have to pop it in, and you have to wind it up, and it's, it's just an old, uh, an, an old um, uh, tape measure. But it was given to me by my grandfather when he was clearing out his shop from his house. He lived in New Fordtown out in Richfield when the airport bought out all that land to expand, and he needed to, uh, to get rid of some of the stuff. And so one of the things that he gave me was uh, his tape measure. But the neat thing about it is that that tape measure actually belonged to his father. So this tape measure that I have is my great-grandfather's um, tape measure, and even though I never knew him, I don't even know his name, I have a piece of him there in my garage. And uh, the, the means by which, at this point, I can know my grandfather and my great-grandfathers through either pictures or just this, this tape measurer. You know, God desires every one of us to know him through certain means. And when it comes to God, it's not in passing down stuff. It's not about the material possessions. He has rather asked us to remember Him by His mighty works in creation and in salvation. And in our passage today, we are going to look at that big thing that He did called the Passover. And we're going to see that God established a way not only to show His mercy, but also how to receive that mercy and also how to remember that mercy. And there's three ways that He does that. And the first is, we need to observe God's means of mercy. Observe God's means of mercy. It's confession time. 
I will freely admit that I have a problem passing out. It's something that I've dealt with many times throughout my life. I've passed out so many times in my life that really it just doesn't even phase me anymore. I can feel it coming on. I can take the necessary precautions. Um, and even if I do pass out, really it's not that big of a deal because I've done it so many times in my life. I've passed out in doctor's offices. I've passed out in college classrooms. I've passed out in eye doctor's offices. I've passed out in medical procedure rooms. I have almost passed out in three of my children's births. Um, <laughs> I have nearly passed out on countless amusement park rides. And as I think about my history of fainting, there is one common theme that seems to be threaded through all these experiences. It's times in which my irrational anxiety gets to the point that my psyche senses imminent physical danger. Well, they say that when danger comes, you have one of two responses, fight or flight, right? Not for me. It's fight, flight, or faint. That's my third one that I want to put on there. And there was no more time when this was realized a few years ago than when I was giving blood. I am O negative, which means I'm a universal donor. So I sort of feel this obligation to give blood. And um, on this particular donation uh, session, I was in fine form. Everything was going good until I thought about what was going on and I looked at what was going on. And for whatever reason, it set my anxiety off to DEFCON 5. And what did I see? Exactly what was supposed to happen. Blood draining out of my system. But for whatever reason, that afternoon, my head started spinning. I knew I was in trouble. I called the nurse over, but before she could even get to me, I was already out. The problem is, when I pass out, muscles tend to tense up. I still had the needle in my arm. So I bent my arm with the needle in it. She had to pull it down when I was out, and my arm was bruised for months after that. You know, uh, I freely admit that I have this problem ever since I was a little boy. But that particular incident caused me to ask the question, why? Why would something that is so life-giving, so good, make me involuntarily shut down? And I think the reason for that is, is the same reason that many of us have a problem when we see blood. It reminds us of our mortality. It reminds us of our fragility. And it reminds us how uh, we will do anything to avoid, to not think about, to delay the process and the finality of death. In Leviticus 17.1, it tells us that the life of a living thing is in its blood. And when things are contained within the body and things are flowing the way it should, it's a sign of normalcy. But when blood has been shed, whether on the school playground or whether on the surgical table, it is a sign that in some way something has gone awry, that something is wrong. It is, however, 
the shedding of blood, and more specifically, uh, a substitute blood that is the means by which God shows us His mercy. Now, if you remember, here we are in Exodus. God has commissioned Moses to go back to Egypt to deliver his people. Moses is reluctant, but he's stepping up. You can see he's growing in faith. He's he's being obedient. He goes to Pharaoh. He's initially failed, but yet here he is again. He kept going back to Pharaoh, saying, "Let my people, let my people go." Last week we saw how God sent nine plagues to the Egyptians. And uh, God states what the problem truly was, was that Pharaoh doesn't know him. And not only that Pharaoh doesn't know him, but that Pharaoh has oppressed God's people. And we, we, we noted how all of the plagues were a direct attack on the gods of Egypt and Yahweh showing a superiority over it. But after nine plagues, Pharaoh is not budging at all. And in chapter 11, God threatens a final plague. Look with me in chapter 11 in verses 4 through 7. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as never have been, nor ever will be again. Not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel." So, because of Pharaoh's sin, God was going to slaughter indiscriminately every firstborn in Egypt. And because um, Pharaoh had messed with God's firstborn child, because if you remember in chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, God considers Israel his firstborn child... God says, because you have messed with my firstborn, I'm going to mess with your firstborn. Now, to the common Egyptian, this was devastating because your firstborn was what your future rested on. Everything that was to become of your family line, everything that was of your property, your firstborn was to represent you in every way. To Pharaoh, it's even worse because Pharaoh looked at himself as if he were a god. And if he were a god, then his son was the son of a god. So, uh, remember here that the, that the Israelites as well are not perfect. We looked at this last week. They're just as sinful as Egypt, uh, though in different ways. And because of their sin, they here are subject to God's judgment as well. Yet because of God establishing a means of mercy, they are able, that we'll, we'll see here in a moment, to be freed. Look in chapter 12, verses 3 through 7. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, 
a lamb for their household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, and he, set his, and he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts, and the lintel of the houses from which they eat. Now jump down to verses 12 and 13. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So what in the world did we just read? At first glance, this sounds awfully strange. A lamb's blood wiped over a door. Yet in this way, God was foreshadowing how He would save the world. Yes, Israel is as sinful as Egypt, and because they're sinful, the cost of justice is death. Remember Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is what? Death, right? Both physical and spiritual. Left to themselves, Israel deserves the same fate of the Egyptians. But God instructs him that in his great love, he will give them mercy through the sacrifice paid by something else. And he instructs each family to slaughter a lamb. And not just any lamb, there were specific guidelines that Israel had to follow. It had to be a spotless lamb. It had to be a year old. It had to be bought on the 10th day. It had to be slaughtered on the 14th. It had to be eaten. All the leftovers had to be burned. And the blood had to be wiped on the doorposts and on the lintel of the door. And the blood was important because when the angel of death came at midnight, the blood was not to identify who were the Israelites and who were not. The blood was an identifier by which a sacrifice had happened in place of someone else. The blood marked out those judgments that the blood had covered. Look with me in chapter 12, verses 21 and 23. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel to them and said, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans. Kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. And not touch the lintel on the two doorposts with the blood. Oh, and touch the lintel with the two doorposts on the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, 
And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So, how do we reconcile this then? When we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, when the writer says that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. What is going on here? Well, as we see the Passover here, we see it as a foreshadow that is realized when a man in the wilderness would look at another man coming and he would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is what God was pointing to in the instance of the Passover. Jesus, sinless and pure, sacrificed on the cross for our sin. And though we deserve God's just wrath, by His, uh, by His blood, God's judgment passes over us. And just as Israelites were delivered from physical slavery through the Passover, so we are delivered from spiritual slavery through the ultimate Passover of Jesus. Sin is no longer a harsh taskmaster over us. No longer are we in bondage. Now we can live freely as slaves to righteousness by faith, trusting in Christ and what He has done. You know, November 26, 2008, a gang of terrorists stormed the Taj Mahal Palace in Mumbai, India. Perhaps you remember when this happened. And after the carnage that left 200 people dead, an interviewer Interviewed, a reporter interviewed a guest who had been at the hotel for a dinner that night. And the guest described how he and his friends were eating dinner, and when they had heard the gunshots, someone grabbed him and pulled him underneath the table. And the assassins came through to all of the tables, uh, and they were shooting at will anyone who they thought uh, had not been killed. Miraculously, this man survived. When the interviewer asked the guest how he lived and everyone else at his table was killed, he replied, I suppose it was because I was covered in someone else's blood and they took me as dead. God's means of mercy is through the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, whose blood covers us. What we owed, Jesus paid, is the doorframe of your life covered in the blood of the Lamb. We need to 
observe God's mercy. And we also need to receive His mercy by faith this morning. And that's our second point, is receive God's mercy through faith. You know, you might not think about it, but the Passover is an incredible encouragement. And it's, uh, it is an encouragement to those of us that are in three different mindsets. It's first an encouragement to those of us that believe that our sin is really no big deal. That it's just we're human, and it's just part of life, and we can just kind of shove it off. It is a way of bringing us to reality that we can't live any way that we want to. And it shows us that our sin, no matter how minute or how heavy or, or, uh, or how serious our, sense, our, our sins are, that they matter. And that there are consequences. Maybe some that we don't see right now. Maybe some that we will see later. But it has consequences. That there is a real and imminent judgment that comes. But there's also mercy available. And when we come down from our lofty views of thinking that sin doesn't matter, the Passover helps us to turn from our sin, see it, and and let the blood of Christ cover us. But it also helps those who are in the mindset that may feel, and rightly, burdened that they're not good enough that they don't have enough good works to cover themselves, that there's not enough good deeds, there's not enough charities that they have donated to that can help them overcome their debt of sin. See, the Passover shows us that um, salvation and redemption is not about what we can do. It's about what God has done for us. It isn't about how good of a person you are. It isn't about how bad of a person you are. It is about what God has done in Christ. And when we see that, the Lamb of God slaughtered on our behalf in the grave for three days, rising from that grave, it lifts a heavy burden on a heart that is stuck thinking they are not good enough. But it also helps those of us who are confused about what faith truly is. You see, people of the world would see faith as some pie in the sky, hope that everything will just turn out okay. And faith to the, the religious, or maybe the carnal Christian you would call them, is at one point you made a decision for Christ and that was good and well and now that you got that taken care of, you can go back to your life and live the same way that you did and that decision doesn't bear any weight on your life right now and you just go on and carry on. But the people of the gospel see that faith is an ongoing process. It's a trust that what Christ 
in what Christ has done in the past, but it's more than that. It is a trust that says, based on what Christ has done in the past, is helping me in my present and is continuing to help me in my future. It is what sustains me and gives me hope. And in chapter 12, we see how the people of God lived in faith. Look in chapter 12, in verses 11 through 13. In this manner you shall eat it, this is the Passover feast, with your belt fastened, with your sandals on your feet, with your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste, I mean, eat it quickly. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, which I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and no plague will befall you, destroy you, when I strike Egypt. Now, I don't know if you caught that, what's happening here. They're having a supper. Sandals on, belts tightened. Folks, they're not wearing their jammies. They're not ready to go to bed. They are spending that night in tomorrow's clothes. They are ready for God to work even before He does. They are standing on His promises, and this is the essence of faith. It is receiving God's promises before you see them. And it is trusting in those promises even if you don't see them in this lifetime. And I think there's a tendency for us to look back on this particular instance and have a little bit of shame in our own faith. As if we look back on these people as if they were just solid, rock hard, uh, trusting in God. More than likely, these people are scared to death as what is going to happen. Remember, these are the people that were rejected by God in the wilderness. We think that they are strong, confident, leading on, leaning on the promises of God. But I think realistically, they're having faith struggles here. And I can imagine that some of us, many of us, if we are honest, struggle with wondering if our faith is strong enough for the events of life. And it's here that I think D.A. Carson provides a good illustration for us to see what is happening here. He says, picture two Jews by the name of Smith and Brown. Remarkably Jewish names, right? The day before the Passover, they're having a little discussion in the land of Goshen. And Smith says to Brown, boy, are you, are you a little nervous about what's, what's going to be happening tonight? And Brown says, well, God told us what to do through His servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the lamb and, and daubed the two doorposts and the lentil of, uh, and put the blood over your doorposts? Haven't you done that already? Aren't you packed and ready to go? You're going to eat the Passover meal tonight with your family? Well, of course I've done that. I'm not stupid. 
But it's pretty scary when you think about all the things that have happened lately. You know, flies and the river turning to blood. It's pretty awful. And now there's this threat that, that, that the firstborn might be killed. I mean, that's all right for you. You have three sons. I only have one. And I love my Charlie. And the angel of death is passing through tonight. I know what God says. I've put blood there, but it's pretty scary. And I'll be glad when this night is through. And the other one responds, bring it on. I trust the promises of God. Which one of, the, which one of those two families lost a son that night? And the answer, obviously, is neither of them. It's neither of them. Because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity of their faith but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. That is what silences and stops judgment. It's not the intensity or the clarity or the depth of our faith. It is the object of our faith that saves. So Christ's blood is shed for you. It covers you. Eternal death passes over you, and we receive it through faith regardless of how strong or how weak our faith might be. His blood is powerful enough to save us to the uttermost. So we must receive God's mercy through faith. But finally, we must also remember the true Passover. Remember the true Passover. See, the Passover in the Exodus from Egypt is the pinnacle event in the history of Israel. When they were to think of God's faithfulness, when they were to think of His loving kindness, when they were to think of His deliverance, His redemption, they always went back to the Passover and the Exodus. And so when God had His people slaughter a lamb make unleavened bread, and eat it quickly with their staff in their hands, ready to go, he instructed his people to do it annually. Look in chapter 13, verses 3 through 10. Moses said to the people, "'Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leaven shall be eaten.'" Today in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord." Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day. It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand 
as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep the statute at its appointed time from year to year. So they need to remember. Why? Because as humans, we tend to forget. We're very forgetful people. We get busy with things, life comes up, and unless we're intentional, unless we're regular about things, we uh, might just make these historical events just a topic of conversation that comes up eh, every so often. But it's not important. Therefore, throughout the Old Testament, God's people are commanded over and over and over and over again to remember the Lord, to recall what He has done for them, and to teach the next generation of His faithfulness and His goodness. And two ways that He does that in particular. The first is the Passover meal. Second is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Passover is for them to reenact uh, as they prepared for God's redemption. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to help them remember the, the quickness that they had to get out of there because you couldn't wait for the leaven to work through the dough. God's going to work quick. We need to get out of here. But as we said before, the Passover was a foreshadow on what was to come. You know, it was not a coincidence that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He was celebrating the Passover meal with His disciples. And as He was having that meal, He was looking toward the cross, and Jesus then changed the idea of the Passover feast to have more depth and more meaning than the Israelites could have ever imagined, and it was all based on what he was going to do. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes that on that night, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He was not saying, this is literally my body. It, that would be abhorrent to a Jew. But he was saying that this bread symbolizes what I'm about to do for you, my body being broken. Further, Paul tells us in the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, he's not saying, this is literally my blood. But that cup was symbolic of His blood that would flow from His veins to save His people. And we are going to do this today. In our standards, it's purely a coincidence that this particular text would land on the day that we have communion. But with God, there are no coincidences. So I'm going to ask those of you who are designated to serve the Lord's Supper to please come forward at this time. Now, we're going to take of bread, and we're going to take of juice. And if you are a blood-bought believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are welcome 
to participate this morning. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet, I want to ask that you let these elements pass by, but that you would look at them to see the tangible way that God's body broke for you and so that God's judgment would pass over you. This is a little bit different than we've done it in the past. We're going to take the bread together, pass it out, hold on to it until everybody has it, and then we're going to eat the bread together. And then we're going to pass out the juice. We're going to hold on to that until everybody has juice, and then we're going to drink of the juice together. The, the, the crackers are gluten-free, so it's safe for everyone. And as we celebrate the true Passover, the redemption that Jesus gave us, let us first go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You for the Passover Lamb whose blood has covered our lives. Father, I ask that all of us here in this room would join in faith together to receive what Christ has done, not just as a one-time thing, but an ongoing day-by-day-by-day-by-day-by-day thing, trusting in the efficacy of what Christ's blood has done for us. Would we celebrate that in joy this morning? And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. sing together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread, He broke it, and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this to remember me. Let's take together. Sing that first verse together again. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is my blood which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And all God's people said, and then you guys can have a seat. God's mercy is available to you today. If you are here today and you've never received that mercy, I want to encourage you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. 
here today. Let's pray together and then we can be dismissed. Father, forgive us, for we are sinners. We deserve your just judgment. But in your mercy, you have sent Christ on our behalf to pay the fine that we should have to pay. And we give ourselves to you, Father, not out of anything that we've done, not of anything that we are, but out of your sheer mercy and grace. Help us to grow in you, to love you, and to tell others about you. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. Thank you for coming. You have a wonderful afternoon. If we could stack some...